Good evening. Uh, as I already mentioned, the topic is financial planning that honors God. And the study will be around this, this book. It's an Anabaptist financial book called uh, Young Family Finances. And there's a lot of good information in here. I won't near cover it all, just kind of hit the high points. We'll be looking at the first two chapters, and then Leonard's going to have the second two chapters here about a month from now, I guess. So, I believe this was written by godly writers, this book, uh, that love the Lord and study the Bible. And it, it's based on the Bible, a lot of scripture verses used in this book. And from their experiences that they had in dealing with finances. I'm here to learn with you. I'm a marred vessel. I'm far from perfect. I have uh, many scratches and dents in my, in my own finances. And so hopefully we can learn together. And the, the only thing I have on a lot of you is it be some age. So I, I, I know what don't work. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's get started in this. Uh, I was asked to do this, by the way. I, I, I didn't say, I, I'd like to give a topic on finances, so just get that clear. Uh, the information is mostly from this book and then some of my, and, and the Bible and some of my personal experiences. We recently had revivals and, and in that time we, the thought was brought up about we are in the dash on our tombstone between our birth date and, and date of death and we're all in that same dash right now, all in that same period of time placed on earth at this time for a reason to, to uh, live a life that honors God and do with our, to, with our money what honors God as well. Larry Burkett, I think it's from him, he said, uh, you, can, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And he was referring to money. In other words, what what you give to the Lord's work will be waiting for you in heaven. So that was a, a neat thought, I thought, that he had. In, in Matthew twenty two twenty one, 21, the Pharisees were trying to corner Jesus on a tax question. And uh, Jesus told them there's two things that very important, two things that are very important to do with money. One is, he said, give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. In other words, pay your taxes. And he said, give to God what's due to God. So other than that, them are the two things he mentioned there. We know it because a lot more than that. But them are the two things of Jesus' mouth, what we should do with some of our money. And then in, in Titus 1.11, it refers to it as filthy lucre. And, and that doesn't sound real great. Uh, money is filthy lucre. And yet... It's something we all uh, think highly of. I think probably most of us have some within a few inches of our body right now because we, we need it to survive. We, we all carry, most of us carry money with us at all times. There's a few misconceptions about money in the Bible. One verse you often hear is money's the root of all evil. That verse is not quoted properly if that's how you hear it. it. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And the NIV and uh, Living Translation read, it, read uh, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. In, in other words, if you take 
most evil tracks back to somewhere to a money gain or to a gain of money. So the, the love of money can lead to all kinds of evil. It's not the root of, of all evil in entirety. And another one is, owe no man anything. Some people say you shouldn't have any debt because of that verse in the Bible. Any debt is, is wrong, they say. They give Romans 13.8 for that, for an example. Well, that was given to a new church in Romans. They were, Paul was writing to the Romans about living their lives the way he would have them to. And what he was saying is pay your bills in time. Don't be, make people wait for money that you owe them. Uh, we, we all, it don't matter if you pay every bill in your house, you'll still owe. You probably get a monthly electric, gas, uh, uh, phone bill. There's taxes that are always accumulating. So you, you'll never be totally paid up. So that, that theory does not, I don't think that's applicable to this verse. Uh, the, the first coins in the United States were minted in the 1793, 230 years ago. Before that, they bartered for things. Like if you wanted something, you'd trade it for something that you do. Or if you, uh, it was a lot of that going on. But they found out it wasn't practical. And the coins were used in the Bible time. And they came to the United States 230 years ago. They were originally made out of precious metal for the value in them. That, them days are gone. They're sandwiched now to make them cheaper. And they're basically worthless. The money we carry is the paper money we carry is totally worthless. It's if if it wouldn't have on it a Federal Reserve note in the top, it, it wouldn't be worth anything because that saying that the government stands behind it and, and it's worth what it says it is, e even though it's a piece of paper. And I'm thankful it still says in God we trust, and all our all our money has that on. So how important is money, like? Leon said, it's mentioned 2,350 times the number I came up with. I think he said over 2,300 times or something like that, or over 2,000. I'm not sure what he said, but anyways, 2,350 is the amount that it's referred to in the Bible. I looked at my Bible, had uh, like 2,000 pages, so it's over once a page it would average. Uh, and like he said, almost twice the number of faith and prayer combined, so it, it, it's very important to to Jesus. Tonight we're going to be looking at giving and debt. And the book is broken like into chapters and then, well, I don't know, sub-chapters, whatever. The, the first, the first uh, title is How to Give, and then it's underneath that subtitle, maybe I don't know what to call it, but first one is, is How to Give. And it says, give voluntarily. In the Old Testament, tithing was an obligation. But in the New Testament, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to share with those who are, are less fortunate, those who don't, don't have their, their needs met, those who are going through a hard time. New, New Testament giving is always free will giving. Unlike paying taxes, which are required by the law with the threat of the penalty if not paid, the New Testament makes no threats if a person doesn't give. It does, however, promise a blessing to those who do. 
A life of full is a full, abundant, and joyous, including will include voluntary giving. So there is a blessing if we give voluntarily. And the next uh, thing here it says is give cheerfully. Attitude matters, even in giving. No one likes complaining attitude, especially God. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. A selfish, stingy person tends to be a grouchy person. Give a, while a generous person is often a more cheerful person. Next one is give anonymously. Many wealthy donors love to have their name attached to their gifts, so the community will praise and remember them long after they're gone. Jesus addressed such selfish giving in Matthew 6, 1-4. If you give to be seen of men, that will be a reward. But if you give in secret, your heavenly Father will grant you a reward. Who, is the, who gives the best reward, God or man? Can anyone, everyone hear me okay? Okay. Give systematically. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay up in store as God hath prospered him, that, that, there be no, that there be no giving when I come. Uh, our offerings for God should be set aside on a regular basis and on a priority basis. God gets his share first, and then we adjust accordingly. That's, we can all, you can all do that how you want. Linda and me found it works best. We, we have a a charitable account, and we give, we get paid, and it goes right into there, and sometimes we add more to that account, and all that is paid out of that account is for charity and uh, charitable giving. Here's a little story in the book. It says, The church I grew up in, an elderly widow was having financial difficulties, so she asked the church to help with, for help. The de- when the deacons and other, another brother looked over her financial situation, they noticed she, she was giving very little to the church. When they asked her about it, she replied she didn't have much left to give after her expenses were paid. The brothers suggest that she set aside a tithe first and then adjust her spending. She agreed to try it for several months. When the committee came back, she was thrilled to to report that it seemed easier to meet her expenses with 90% of her income, even after the 10% was removed for the tithe. I remember Dale had a message, I think it was here one time, unless it was up Shenandoah, and that was one of the thoughts. he, he brought out, if you take your 10%, which was the Old, Old Testament tithe, it's not New, New Testament teaching, it almost seems to go further on your 90% than you could on your 100% before. Give proportionately. Uh, it's easy to think, if, you, if you're making up $100,000, well, then I could easy give 10% because I'd have more to work with. Or if you were making a million, maybe you'd give 20% then because it, then you'd have a lot more. But what if you're making 30? Can you still give 10%? Uh, I, I think you can. If, if you put that aside first, it, it will reach. You might have to do some 
budget adjusting and cut out some unnecessary things, but uh, it's, it's not always easy. I've, I was young once too. <laughs> Especially when you're getting a, f a family started, it can be challenging. Give purposefully. Every man, according to the, as he purposes in his heart, let him give. That's Second Corinthians 9, 7. Give carefully, prayerfully, give careful and prayerful thought to giving. Make it a deliberate choice rather than an emotional reaction in a crisis situation. Sit down and plan out your giving. Give responsibly. Be careful who you give money to. In the first century, there was a drought in the land of Judea where the Christians in Antioch, when the Christians in Antioch heard about it, they were determined to send relief to the church there. They co collected money, but they didn't just hand it to the first sea captain heading that way. They acted responsibly and they offered it to the men he, who they knew named uh, Saul and Barnabas, and they gave it to the elders at the church, and they saw it got to where it was supposed to go. You know, we get, and I'm sure you all get, many requests in the mail for people looking for money, and most of them go in the trash, but it, it's important that we don't just throw our money around because it, God is has given it to us to, and we're accountable what, what we do with it. Uh, our church has deacons. They were chosen by the church because they are known to be honest and trustworthy. Much of the giving should be done through the church because we know and trust our leaders will handle it with integrity. Give sac sacrificially. The greatest example of sacrificial giving is Jesus who gave all, including his life. Perhaps the second greatest is the poor widow in Luke 21 who gave all of her living. I've often wondered what became of that poor widow when she gave her last two mites. Did she starve? I'm sure she didn't. God noticed her giving and also gave to her out of his unlimited resources. Where to give. And here we have the local brotherhood. Uh, we have, what do you think? Where do you think some scriptural plan, uh, places sh should be for our giving? There's a few of them listed here. Orphans and widows, we all know that. It's in, uh, I think it's in James. I think it's James. I know it says about visiting the widows. I'm not sure if that's where it says about sharing with them. Uh, church leaders, I didn't want to answer that because that wouldn't look good for them. But uh, there's local brotherhood I already mentioned. Uh, Widows and orphans, the Bible speaks specifically about caring for the widows and the orphans. God is a father of the fatherless and a husband to the widow, but he expects his 
people to, to pay special attention to their needs. In addition to the church leaders, in addition to showing appreciation for praying for our leaders, the Bible is clear that a church is responsible to support their leaders with a financial gift for his labors and why to give. In today's world, there are makers and takers. It seems there are almost as many makers as takers. Historically, Anabaptists have promoted a good work ethic. We believe every able-bodied person should be gainfully employed. We should never be known as a parasite in our culture, but rather we should produce goods and services that benefit the whole community. We are to work to support ourselves and our families. Although much of us, much of our giving involves money, Christ-like giving is even more important. Giving of our time, or just as important, giving of our time and efforts is also part of the Christian community living. Work projects that requires hours, hours of voluntary time around our churches. Is there any questions on the giving part of this topic, uh, lesson? In, in 2 Corinthians 8.13, this is, I think, the Living Translation, it says, don't give so much, it makes life hard for you and easy for the receiver. So there is a balance. You don't give everything you have so the other, the receiver don't have to work any, anymore. It's... Uh, that's an interesting verse, I think. It's 2 Corinthians 8.13. Larry Burkett, I refer to him a, a few times. I used to listen to him. He died 20 years ago of cancer. He was a Baptist. Uh, he had a, a financial program on the radio. Maybe a lot of you have heard him over the years. But he said, I think this is original with him. I'm not sure. Do your, living, do your giving while you're living. Then you're knowing where it's going. Any thoughts on the giving part? Ten percent would be ten uh, percent of your of your gross uh, income. So if, for every hundred dollars you earn, you'd give ten dollars to the Lord's work. That would be ten percent. did I, I couldn't find anywhere that I mean I, I think that should be a starting point <laughs> uh, but it depends how much of, of God's God's blessings you want <laughs> I mean you can't buy your way into salvation I'm not saying that but to to show that you really believe it is all God's and you're giving a small portion back to him I think is only reasonable Yeah. Yep. Can I flesh out that? You said you have a charitable account. And I found in uh, uh, 
a separate checking account that you keep your tithe money in, and then you take out of that. Yeah. Actually, I, I, my employer put it directly into there, so I didn't really see it. It's just in there. Yeah. Yeah. So that works out well for us, but it wasn't always that way. I used to put it in there, but, and that's not, you know, that's just how we choose to do it. I'm not saying that's the way it should be done or there's any merits in doing it that way. It works well for us. And if we're running low on that account, we just write it out of our other account and <laughs> restock it again if, if, it's, if it's in the other account. <laughs> All right. Next, next topic is debt. Uh, definition of debt is money borrowed, which means if you borrow money, someone wants to be paid for you using their money, so you have to pay interest, which is debt. There are two basic types of debt we'll be looking at tonight. The one is secured debt, and the other one is unsecured debt. Anyone want to, uh, probably won't do it for the lack of time. Secured debt is something you can back up with uh, if you buy a property that has value. If, you have a, if you're able to put a, a down payment on that usually is enough collateral for the bank to say they'll loan you the money for the rest of it. If you don't pay it, they'll come take the property back. So. That's secured debt. There, it, it's backed up by something tangible that if the payments aren't made, they can reclaim it. And it uh, the other type is, oh, here it says, if you're going to have debt in life, choose to have only secured debt. With collateral standing behind your secured debt, you remain able to honor your obligation even in hard times as hardship uh, even in times of hardship, by returning something of lasting value to the lender. Then there's unsecured debt, and that would include credit cards, personal debt, and consumer debt. They're all, I mean, consumer debt, personal debt can be sort of the same thing, but credit cards, we're probably all familiar with that. No asset of lasting value stands behind unsecured debt. Perhaps you went to town, you bought a pair of socks, uh, on your credit card, about a month later, the bill came. You lacked the money to pay the, the bill. Do you mail the socks back to the credit card company? I don't think so. They wouldn't take that as a, a very smart thing. They don't want your old dirty socks, and they have no use for them. So that's an unsecured. And uh, Gary Miller, Anabaptist writer, he... He said, uh, an a good example of unsecured debt or something with poor resale, resale value is an ice cream cone. So when you go out and buy ice cream, once, once that's bought, it's basically worthless to anyone else. So uh, them are things that you shouldn't put in your credit card unless you have the cash to pay for them when the card comes due because there, there is no resale value and most consumer debt are credit card debt. How much debt is okay? Well, if you ask the United States government, that would be one issue. Uh, they have 33 
point some trillion right now in debt, and that's 12 zeros behind 13. It's just an astronomical number to even write. The, uh, the interest on that is $1.3 billion a day on the national debt, $1.3 billion a day, or about a million dollars a minute. So every minute we sit here, it's another million dollars in interest for our, our debt. Just for an idea where we came from, when Reagan was president 35 years ago, it was 2.6 trillion. Now it's 33 trillion. In 1835, it was down to zero. There was no debt as a nation. So, uh, so someone's not doing a real good job of watching the debt. Anyways, how much debt is, is okay? We, we all, I shouldn't say we all, I, I think probably most of us here have some debt, or we did at one time anyways. We all have debt because, like I say, you always have m monthly bills that'll be coming, but for, for your house, you're probably gonna have debt for that. A lot of people have for their vehicles, uh, they have a, a debt to income ratio here that I thought was interesting. I don't think I've ever seen it before, but, and maybe you have. But they say that the maximum amount of debt you should have is four times your annual income. So if you're making $40,000 a year, you sh should not have more than 160000 in debt. If you're making 100000 a year, it'd be uh, 400000 in debt. So... That was an interesting chart, and he said, that's maximum. He said, some people might do uh, three to one, that's uh, four to one, some do three to one, some two to one, or even one to one. It's whatever you feel is, is workable in your uh, lifestyle. What does the scripture say about debt? Scripture speaks very specifically to debt. It teaches that debt is a form of servitude. The borrower is servant to the lender. Proverbs 22.7 Scripture is clear that if, you, if a person is willing to borrow money, he must also be a person willing to answer to someone else, submit and humble yourselves and give another person some authority in your life. Scripture also says it's a wicked person who borrows money and does not meet his obligation. The wicked person borroweth and payeth not again is Psalms thirty seven twenty one. Debt generally comes with a mutual agreement upon with uh, the terms that are with it. If you owe someone money the first of the month, it should be honored, and you have only honored your agreement if you have it paid in full on the first of the month. So when you buy, when you get a loan in a car or a house, and, and you have a, a loan that's due on the first or the 15th, 
it's your obligation to see that it is paid by that date and not a day or two late. If it's a day or too late, you have broke your word with that on that agreement. Unexpected hardships will come. Uh, they, not to everyone, but sooner or later, it hits most people. When you're unable to make a payment, well, what do you do? You, you don't look for the creditor to come to you. You go to them and say, look, I'm having hard times. I need some time. We have to work out a program here. Uh, and tell him or tell them that you want to you know, do what you have to do to get caught up or make it right or whatever, but it, it's your obligation to contact them and not them contact you. Consequences of debt. Debt is a cycle. A vehicle loans are an example of a debt cycle that can easily trap people. Perhaps you need to borrow money for a work truck. You need to get a work truck. And you say, well, where I live, it snows a lot, so it has to be four-wheel drive. And so you borrow a bunch of money to get this truck. You drive the truck that you say you needed. It keeps increasing in value in every mile, and, and mechanical con conditions keep on improving and, get, and, and getting better and better, right? Of course not. Things wear out, they lose value, it de decreases in value as you use it. Maintenance costs go up, you make your last payment, and your truck engine or transmission begins making strange noises. Now what? You have no money saved for another vehicle, you're back to looking for another truck and starting the whole payment cycle over again. This is a, a vicious cycle that so many people are in. And I, I looked up here a little bit. There's 1.6 million vehicles repossessed every year in the United States. 1.6 million repossessed due to behind in payments. 80% of the vehicles on the road are financed. 1.56 trillion is what's loaned on vehicles in the United States. It, it would be so good for us to get ahead of that cycle to, to drive a less expensive car, trade it in on a little more expensive and work your way up instead of starting at the top and you never get ahead that way. Uh, it's, a, it's a discouraging reality for so many people. Debt increases the temptation of materialism and dishonesty. What is materialism? Does it have any part in your life or the lives of the people whom you, who attend your church? Materialism is a focus on money and possessions characterized by selfishness and impatience. If you are, afraid of, if you are unafraid of debt, then you borrow money to get what you want without having to wait on it. Debt increases the temptation of materialism. Debt is presumptuous. If you are quick to borrow money, you do not step back from a financial decision and say, 
I need to pray about this. I need to talk to God about this to find out what he wants me to do about this or if I should hold back. So when, when you're looking at, I'm not saying every time you go for groceries you have to go through this, but if you're looking at a, at a big uh, investment or maybe even just a new sofa or something that a thousand or two, you're not sure about it. You don't have to make a split split uh, moment, a short moment. Or, I'm not sure. Split second. split second decision. There you go. Thank you. Uh, there's there's a time to think about it, pray about it, and maybe something else will show up. It's a better deal or something. But don't uh, think you have to decide right on at that time at that moment. Plastic makes it very easy to do that. If you have a credit card, okay, I'll take it and you flip out the plastic and go out with the product. We'll look at that here in a few minutes. Debt ties up your time and resources. Understanding that when, when you go into debt, it ties up your resources. You tie up your money to make required monthly payments. The first dollar your paycheck is going to the lender every month. Debt also ties down your, ties down your time. It is in, uh, you may have a wife and children and feel obligated to supply them with a nice home and a big yard and a, new, and a nice vehicle for your wife to drive to town. Be careful. The amount of money you allow yourself to borrow, there is certain amount of time that belongs to you, you, that you belong at home with your wife and children, not on the job, not out working under a heavy debt load, not supplying the unnecessary things for your children instead of giving them the gift to yourself. The, Children do not need a lot of things. They need a dad who will spend time with them. Or parents, I should say, it will spend. Dad seemed to be the most uh, known for doing this sort of thing. What about credit cards? Linda and me won a trip 35 years ago through my employer, which was Jason Reed at that time. And... Uh, he just got back from, he was with his in-laws, I forget the other side of the world, Israel, I think, or somewhere. And he didn't want to go, and he said, we can go. So we thought, well, yeah, he said, it's all, all paid. So we, we didn't have credit cards. He, he said, you sh- shouldn't need money unless you want to buy something extra. Everything's paid. To, you know. So we went, no cards. I, I didn't have any credit cards at that point. <laughs> I just thought it was un- un- unnecessary. My mom and dad never had them up to that point, and I thought it was sort of new at that time, I guess. I'm not sure when they actually came out. But anyways, we got to Hawaii then, and they asked to see our credit card for, I think it was for security for the room or something we're staying in. <laughs> we had a little issue. I didn't, we didn't have any. I, I forget how we actually worked it out. It was sort of a deal then, but they finally, I mean, we got something resolved. But after we got back from that trip, we, we did get them, and now we use them often. But they are a trap. They are, they are a trap that gets so many people caught, caught up in them. Uh, 
the average card holder has $6,500 in debt on their credit card. At 18% interest, that's $1,170 a year that they're paying interest on their credit, and that's if it's not going up, which most people's cards go up each month. The average consumer debt in the United States is $95,000, and that's the uh, debt that outside your home, debt like we were talking about earlier here, un unsecured debt, $95,000. Credit card traps. A credit card is a dangerous tool, like a chainsaw. It can be used. It, it can be useful for cutting uh, firewood. Careful when you use it carelessly. So a credit card has practical uses, but but it can ruin your uh, finances when used improperly. It has some advantages. Uh, if you order you order things online. Or over the phone, you often, you more than all, almost always need your card for that. Uh, that's the main, the, the main uh, benefits would be ordering things like that. What are the dangers? Most card spending is used to buy items with, that depreciate in value. Few real assets are purchased by the credit card. By the time the statement comes, nearly all the items on the card for that statement have lost some or all of their value. Impulse spending is a second danger. With a credit card, you enter a store and leave with anything that catches your eye, even if you don't have the money to pay for it. It would be better to say, yes, I would like to have that, but I'm not going to buy it today. I simply am not going to allow myself to buy on impulse. I'm going to take it, I'm going to go home, think about it, talk to my wife, pray about it. Next time you come back, if the impulse is still there, then you can consider it, but it more than likely will be gone. So that's, uh, and there's, there's traps built into these cards. One of the traps is, and I'm sure you all seen it, 0% interest for three months or six months or maybe a little longer. Why do they do that? Why do you think they're letting you use their money for, for free? <laughs> Are they? They're, they're not doing it because they feel benevolent or generous. They know the average American will spend more on his card than he can pay back and then they got you because they'll get you at their high interest rates, which is 20 some percent, 18 to, I heard today some of them are up to close to 30%. So that is daylight robbery. And you don't wanna get caught in, in, in that trap. Credit card, uh, here, even if a person has not, borrowed more than they can repay. These 0% interest offer, or usually have some fine print that allows the card companies to go back and charge full interest rate for the entire period as soon as the payment is just one day late on one of the payments. So 
they're, they're waiting like a trap for you to step in it, and, and then, they'll, then they'll nail you. So even the reward programs are designed as traps. Re- reward points are great things, aren't they? Do credit card company award points and cash back offers be, because they're kind and uh, benevolent? No, they offer these p- programs because they drive up card usage and result in higher profits for the credit card companies. Most people who pray, pay with a credit card will spend 12 to 18% more than those who pay with cash. So that's the reason they do these programs. They know Americans don't have enough uh, in their, on their hearts to say no to something. If, if they want it, they'll get it, and they'll deal with it later, but, and that's how they're getting rich. Um, most, here it says most cards charge 18%. I think these books printed in 19, so they're a little outdated. But So when you loan $2,000, when you have $2,000 on a credit card for, for five years, it ends up costing you $1,077 in interest at 18%. So you're... $2,000 worth of items that depreciate ended up costing you over $3,000. Always treat your purchases as cash purchases. If you buy an item with a credit card because it's more convenient, you should have the cash in your checking account to pay it off. If you have a credit card and use it, make sure that you pay it off every month. And, and that's, that is something I think you should all commit to. If you use the credit card and it's not paid off in a month's time, here they suggest uh, cut it in half or give it to a friend and say, here's my card. I charge on it too much. I wasn't able to pay it off last month. I want someone to hold me responsible. I, will, I want you to give it back to me when I can show you I have caught up on my card statement. Larry Briquette used to say an oven at 400 degrees for 15 minutes will take care of that problem too. <laughs> Put your uh, credit card in, a, in an oven in other words. So don't, don't mess with that interest rate. It'll eat you alive. That's is just uh, not doable. Like if, if, if you put a $20 pizza on a credit card and go over the five-year thing, <laughs> that thing will cost you 30 bucks and you'll be paying it off in five years. So not a wise decision. Can I have another few minutes? Another trap is uh, consolidation loans. And... It, it sounds good because it, if you have, say, a half dozen different bills, your cards or outstanding bills every month, you're paying different loans, you can say, well, you can get a, a consolidation loan, put all these together, and you just have one, one uh, payment for the month. You don't have to deal with all these other payments. Well, you look at it, and the payment is actually less 
then all your added up, added up bills together, well, that makes sense, so you do it. Not realizing that your timeline just got bumped out another year or two. And then the, the second problem with that is you'll, you'll have a new sense of freedom. This feels good, I'm not so strapped down anymore. And you'll start a second charge account, and after a while you'll have, you'll have twice the problems what you originally had. You, you have all, all your loans on, on one big loan, and now you have the second loan starting against the, after this large loan. So uh, strongly discourage consolidation loans unless you looked at it and you're sure it makes sense uh, to you. Something I, sort of a joke in our, in our, our household, we all, we all get uh, flyers in the mail and things on sale and whatever, and they say, we say, well, it's not cheap if you don't need it. So it, 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 it don't matter if something's 25% of the normal price. If it's something I'll never use, it's still not a good deal. So don't be caught in all these scams around us everywhere trying to, trying to rob us blind. Another thing, you've probably found this out already, but credit card companies expect their check by the due date. They have to have it in their hands on the due date. I, when I was young, it used to be they had to be postmarked by the due date, and then you wrote, okay, well, that's not okay with credit card companies. I looked at my last bill, and if, if it's one day late, they can bill you $41 extra charge on top of the interest at 18%. So don't, don't pay your credit cards the day you get them because you don't want to be late on them. Credit cards probably don't like me because I always pay them on time. They don't make any money off of me, but that's okay. Uh, they, they still offer, oh, they, they would get, I think they get 1% from the seller and 1% from the, I'm not sure how, how it all works. They still get a little something out of it, even if you pay it at the time, but I think that's all I have, Leanne, is it? Thanks for your attention.